We're reviewing week four, looking forward to week five, and helping you to manage your fantasy teams on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Week four is in the books. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. Welcome into Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by my bookie and squad QL. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. We are a quarter of the way through the many, uh, for many, the fantasy football season. Uh, another pretty surprising week. What's going on, Matt? Uh, not much. Just, uh, recovering from it was a, it was a poor week for me. Uh, just in terms of all of my uh, fantasy exploits and prop betting, wasn't wasn't the best week. So just recovering from that. Yeah, I did not have the greatest week either. Uh, so it sounds like we are coming off of a similar type of day yesterday. Uh, so with that, we'll get right into things. Starting off with the Little Lebowski Urban Overachievers of the week. They're the Little Lebowski Urban Achievers. Mitchell Trubisky, 19 for 26, 354 yards, six touchdowns, three rushes for 53 yards. Definitely one of the main talks of yesterday. Wow. What do you make of this? Uh, I, I don't know what to make of it. I, I mean, I guess other than the fact that the Buccaneers are really bad. Like I would have anticipated that um, Trubisky would do better than he normally does because of the matchup. I wouldn't have expected uh, two things. One, for them to uh, plan to throw that heavily, even when they were ahead by that much. I would have them ex- I would have expected them to go to Jordan Howard a little bit more. Uh, and then two, even if they had intended to continue to throw, I wouldn't have expected them to do it that competently. So uh, I don't know. I think it says more about the Buccaneers than about Trubisky. But um, I think also it, it points to, uh, I don't know, like this new era in the NFL. Like I think I think we're basically at the point of like a paradigm shift or something where um, just because of the the style of play and the overall play calling competence of like a new generation of offensive coordinators and because of the rules that are implemented that really uh, impact the way that the defense can play. We are just in this high scoring era where we should expect in any given week, any quarterback who basically uh, isn't Josh Allen <laughs> can basically have a, a <laughs> massive performance. Yeah, it, it almost felt like arena football uh, at times this season. And I'm with you. I think with the Bears, what we're seeing is there's an offense that when it finds itself in the right situation has playmakers and a quarterback that's competent enough to run up the score and produce large fantasy outings. Having said that, though, I do think that a lot of what we saw with Trubisky and that team as a whole yesterday does relate to the fact that the Buccaneers on the defensive side of the ball just cannot stop teams. I mean, I think this is the fourth week in a row, unless I'm wrong, that we've seen tremendous success on the opposite side of the field for the team that's opposing the Buccaneers. So I'm not ready to go out and say that Trubisky is a must-add type of guy to get too excited about this offense. 
But uh, it does speak to there being potential there. And I think that you make a lot of good points there about this type of shift that we're seeing in this league. And we're going to get to a stat later that kind of establishes what we're seeing with passing offenses this year and among a number of quarterbacks. You know, it's not just the Drew Breeses, the Aaron Rodgers, uh, guys like that putting up these huge games. We've already seen a number of different quarterbacks really overperform. Now, the Seattle backfield has been confounding for the last number of seasons. This year, it's already shaken out very oddly. We see Mike Davis go for nearly 30 points with 21 rushes, 101 yards for two touchdowns, four targets, four wrecks, 23 yards this weekend. Should we be careful not to overreact to this? It already sounds like Pete Carroll is trying to position themselves to bring Chris Carson back into the fold next week. Naturally, there's Rashad Penny there. Does this just muddy the waters even more? Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit, but Davis has gotten like basically no action until this game. Um, and he wouldn't have gotten the action if not for the injury to Chris Carson. So I, I don't want to overreact to it at the same time. Like Mike Davis is someone who's always been a little bit intriguing to me. Um, you know, like there, there have been games in the past where he flashed a little bit. And then in college, he was actually a pretty good runner, um, with like pass catching ability, uh, like underrated pass catching ability for a guy of his size. So, you know, it's kind of that situation, and you can say this about almost any running back in the NFL, like if they're going to give him the touches, he could be pretty good. It's just a question of whether they're going to do that. I don't think they're going to. Like, I wouldn't expect them to do that, uh, one, just based on the history that they have in, in the post-Marshawn Lynch era, and then just based on what they're saying about Chris Carson and the way that they've uh, treated Carson in the past. Yeah, I don't think this this creates a situation that is necessarily as favorable as you would like to hope. We're all hoping that those guys will become available on the waiver wire that we can scoop them up. But as you said, there's a number of variables working against Davis being that guy, mainly relating to how much they've liked Chris Carson. And we have also seen in the past, the last couple of seasons, a game or two where one of these Seattle backs will manage to have a great game. I'm thinking with Davis, maybe we even see his next outing, another good game, but I don't think it's a type of thing that I would bet on carrying through. Naheem Hines, a back that I really liked coming out of school. I think I had him as high as ranked seven in my rookie rankings at one point. There was the fumbling issues in the preseason. We've already talked about him seeing him working his way into that offense. Andrew Luck looked pretty good yesterday. Hines, the recipient of 11 targets, converted nine into receptions, 63 yards, two touchdowns. Now, naturally, the touchdowns help, but the work has been there. Uh, I can't imagine you were expecting this type of performance from Hines. Mm, not really, but I like I have expected him to be used pretty heavily as a pass catcher. It definitely helps that Marlon Mack was out um, right. because, you know, Mack would have taken a chunk of the load as a pass catcher. Um, but uh, Hines, like the guy I comped him to when he was coming uh, coming in, was a um, was basically like CJ Spiller with a lower draft grade. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're basically using him in that way. Like he's not someone who's really going to be able to run between the tackles, um, but a, a dynamic pass catcher and also someone who is good in the return game, although they haven't uh, they haven't used him in that way yet. But he could do that. He you know, he did that in college, um, obviously, like super fast guy, the fastest running back at the combine. Right. So, yeah, I think if they continue to use him in this way and, and luck historically actually has relied on his uh, on his backs as receivers. So uh, we're not, you know, we shouldn't expect double digit targets each game, 
But I think like for Hines, like five targets is kind of like a, a decent floor. And I think we should look for, you know, like four to five carries. Like I think he has the capability of like total touches each game having, you know, 10. So that's a, a pretty high floor for a guy that people don't necessarily think of as someone they should start. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the other thing to consider too is if you look at the receiving core there, uh, right now with Jack Doyle, granted he's a tight end, T.Y. Hilton having some, um, health issues as well, maybe heading into this Thursday matchup, Hines can establish himself even further. Now, Robert Turbin is coming back from suspension. I don't know if that changes anything in anyone's mind, but it is possible as, uh, you know, there is a role open for kind of that first, second down type of grinder, but I actually expect Heinz workload to kind of uh, remain pretty solid moving forward. So I think that if he's available, I'm definitely considering him, although I am really upset because I played multiple teams with him yesterday that I thought, uh, you know, it was going to make for an easy matchup and then he ran up 30 points on me. So I'm not happy about that. Listen, let me ask a question. Could you uh, expand the space underneath the desk, you know, give it a little more uh, headroom? George Costanza Slackers of the Week. Well, the magic wore off and Fitzpatrick came out looking more like a squib than a wizard, Get yanked after producing just three fantasy points. I do think the team itself kind of fell flat on its face, but uh, unfortunately, Matt, is this the end of the Ryan Fitzpatrick era? Oh, I think so. Yeah, definitely. I think it's the end. Uh, unless Winston comes in and is so bad yep. um, that they basically determine that uh, they know they're not going to go with him for the future, uh, but they're still decent enough maybe to fight for a playoff spot. Uh, so that in that event, maybe they would pivot back to Fitzpatrick. But yeah, this is this is the end. Yeah, it really is. This is, I feel like, one of the best examples that you're ever going to see a variance in players being able to just be light out for a stretch and why things generally always come back down to earth. Uh, for as good as he looked, just completely, completely fell apart. Uh, before we move off, because we'll take this opportunity because I don't have anything else on the sheet getting back to the Buccaneers. With Jameis coming in, do you think that this changes the situation for any of the receivers now OJ Howard might be out. So Cameron break kind of factors into this as well. Uh, but has this changed your opinion on some of the pass catchers on Tampa Bay? Mm, not really. I mean, marginally, but um, I don't think effectively because like if you have them, I don't think you're going to be able to, to trade them high. Like I, right. I think their value basically is what it is in redraft leagues. And, uh, and then week to week, I think like, I think their value is so target based anyway. So I don't think Winston is going to air the ball out uh, the way that uh, Fitzmagic has in right. the, the opening four weeks. But I think they're still going to get their targets. They just might be downgraded slightly. But like it's kind of hard to um, to like really think of that on a a week to week basis because they're just going to get their targets. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Although I think now I'm a little bit more concerned about DJX than I already was. I was advocating in uh, my article last week that now is the time to get out on Jackson. I think it's going to get harder and I'm not sure if we can expect, like, I feel like we've probably already seen maybe three of his best games of the season so far, uh, but we'll have to see how that plays out. Lamar Miller has been. A, oh, go just, ahead. Just to jump in, I, you know, thinking about it more. I think you're right about Deshaun Jackson. I don't think it affects uh, Mike Evans as much. Um, maybe not even Godwin, but I do think yeah. it affects 
Jackson, uh, for the most part, just because he's shown no, uh, no like synchronicity that that's definitely not the right word, but like he hasn't shown any ability to, uh, to catch whatever it is that Winston is throwing to him. And Winston hasn't been able to like hit him in the right spots. They just haven't connected in, in their, you know, one year together. So maybe things are better in their second year, but I just, I don't think they will be. Yeah, no, I don't think they will be. If you look back at um, historically how Deshaun Jackson has helped out his quarterbacks, you did not really see that happen yeah. with he and Winston when you go back and you look at the numbers and uh, across a variety of different metrics, efficiency, different ways you could look at things. It wasn't there with Watson or excuse me, it wasn't there with Winston. Perhaps it could change, but yeah, it doesn't speak to uh, a positive outlook for Jackson moving forward. Now, Lamar Miller, just five points versus the Colts, 14 rushes for 49 yards, no involvement in the passing game. I think that owners are really frustrated with Lamar Miller and they are not getting what they thought that they were buying. I mean, I think that's fair. Um, two things. The Colts defense is, I think, better than most people anticipated it would be entering the year. Yep. And people just kind of need to calibrate for that a little bit. But uh, secondly, Lamar Miller just he's not he's not a super dynamic guy at this point. Like he's not the same guy he was when he was with Miami. Um, right. He's going to be fairly inefficient. What you're hoping for is that he is buoyed by the overall effectiveness of the offense he's in, and that translates into touchdowns. I like, I think that, and you know, he's just, you're hoping he gets, you know, 14 to 18 carries and maybe some targets. I think this was just kind of aberrant in terms of how he was used. I think you still expect him to get better usage than this, but, um, you're just, it's a, he's a strict value play. You're not like looking for upside with him. Right. This is my take on Miller. So we've seen he's averaging at this point, he went 2014, 10, 14. So in attempts, he's averaging nearly 15 per game. In targets, he's averaging around three. Now we go back to the summer. I wasn't expecting the workload to be that vastly different. The big thing here is he only has one touchdown, came from receiving. And I think one of the reasons for this is probably when that, when that team gets down close to the goal line, uh, you have Will Fuller, who sometimes has kept them out of even needing to be in that range. And, you know, we know his connection with Deshaun Watson. You also have DeAndre Hopkins, another great option to go to. So it's almost like the need for Miller in that offense to score touchdowns and the situations in which he can uh, produce those touchdowns hasn't been maybe what you would have liked. Granted, he still did have... Uh, red zone attempts through the first three weeks. I actually don't recall what he had yesterday, but I think that's kind of factoring in too. So if you're a Lamar Miller owner, you've got to hope that some way or another, the touchdowns can start to manifest because his expected points aren't that terrible. It just really hasn't come to fruition for him yet. Yeah. Stuff like that eventually normalizes. So I think you just hold on to him and, uh, you know, keep playing him. And at some point the touchdowns are going to come. Yeah. Now Rob Gronkowski, 23 points in week one, just 21 cents. Uh, already we have Gronk a little banged up yesterday, managed to get four wrecks, 44 yards in the game where, uh, you know, Patriots didn't need him quite as much as they may in other games. But Gronk at this point, Matt, I think people are probably feeling like he's been a bit of a disappointment. This looked like it was going to be his season. Edelman is coming back. Josh Gordon has been added. Outlook for Gronk. If you're a Gronk owner, are you starting to get a little bit concerned? 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you're a Gronk owner, you should always be concerned. Right. Um, and then now you have an additional reason to be concerned. Um, yep. I think actually two additional reasons. To be, and I just want additional reasons. You're always concerned about that the health issues, which right. at this point, like, it's a, it's a thing. Like, we're now yep. past the first month. Like, we're on schedule for Gronk to miss a game. And uh, he didn't practice on Monday. Um, he has the ankle injury. He, you know, I don't know. He potentially could miss Thursday. Like he, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think I, I think he's going he's gonna, to be honest. I really, I, yeah. I, I, I'll be, I'll be surprised if he plays. Yeah. So I think he misses Thursday. Um, so like, that's the, the first big thing is like once yep. Gronk gets that, that first injury and then like starts to accumulate more injuries on top of that, his effectiveness goes down and then sometimes he misses games. Um, but then like the second thing, like his effectiveness is starting to go down, not just like because of injuries. Um, maybe it's, him getting older maybe it's just that the Patriots offense hasn't really been in sync in this first month um you know maybe it's in part because they haven't had Edelman they haven't had other receivers there to pull attention away from him um but whatever it is like I think it's it's a real thing um I think like Gronk is he's no longer clearly the best tight end in the league um he's I think very easily situated in that Kelsey and Ertz tier and honestly, he might be a little bit below them. I actually believe that he is. Uh, I think at, at this point, um, because we just haven't really seen, especially at this point this season, uh, many things to point to him being the player that we saw maybe three seasons ago. It does feel like there started to be a slow but steady drop off in how dominant of a player he has been. Now, granted, the offense itself isn't really clicking, but it is very weird when you look at an offense where a player, a player like Chris Hogan, is seeing so few targets. Granted, they've kind of shifted that load more or less to Dorsett, but with Edelman gone, that Gronk is not involved. It definitely is a problem if you were expecting big things from Gronk this season. Uh, as always, a reminder that you can sign up to Rotoviz using the 30% listener discount uh, that you get as a listener to the podcast network at uh, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Gets you unlimited access to all of our content and tools. And another reminder to make sure that you are supporting us on Patreon, rotoviz.com forward slash or excuse me, why do I always do that? Patreon.com forward slash Rotoviz Radio. You can get in on our exclusive content like the NFL live pregame show that we're doing every Sunday at 11 that I had to do this weekend entirely wet on the lower half of my body. We were at the playground uh, with my daughter before the show. I had to be the parent that got the raindrops and the water from the night before off of all the slides mat so i had to go down all of them and get completely wet my wife got talking to people we could not get out of the playground until about luckily we live five minutes away i had to scurry back into the house go down and do the show completely wet but that's the type of dedication that you're getting if you are <laughs> a patron so i would recommend checking that out that sounds horrible oh dude it was it was it was really really bad and it's Crazy Joe Devola. This is from that kick from that Crazy Joe Devola. Yeah. <laughs> crazy Joe Devola? What the hell? Uh, what Crazy Joe Devola? Crazy Joe Devola. Okay. The crazy stat of the week brought to you by Joe Devola. Between the year 
2000 and 2017, when looking at the first four weeks of the season, the highest number of quarterbacks averaging over two and a half passing touchdowns was five. That happened in 2013. So to say that again, between 2000 and 2017, the season in which the highest number of quarterbacks through the first four games averaged over two and a half passing touchdowns was five in 2013. We're at seven uh, at this point in the season now with Rivers, Dalton, Ryan, Fitzpatrick, Cousins, Goff, and Mahomes putting up those numbers. But even more interesting between that same time frame, again, when looking at the first four games, the highest number of quarterbacks with over 300 yards per game was seven in 2011. This season, we're seeing 11 with Stafford, Wentz, Flacco, Breeze, Ryan, Fitz, Carr, Cousins, Goff, and Roethlisberger. So I really think that speaks to what you mentioned earlier, Matt, that we're seeing a bit of a paradigm shift. And not only are we seeing the passing number go, numbers go up, but we're seeing uh, just tremendous stat lines being produced by a variety of different quarterbacks. Some of these guys that probably aren't even actually good quarterbacks. So do you think that this trend is going to carry? Is this what we're going to see in the league going forward? And I think that it's going to have a significant impact on the way that we play fantasy in the next couple of seasons. Yeah, I think there has to be some regression at some point, but uh, I think holistically, yeah, uh, the league is taking a step forward and just scoring ability. So yeah, uh, we shouldn't expect for all of these guys to continue, but we should expect, I think by the end of the season for this to be one of, if not the highest scoring season in NFL history. Yeah, it's definitely already on a pace where that definitely seems conceivable. And it really has made the need of having an early round quarterback uh, significantly less important. It's also interesting when you look at Brady and Rodgers and Russell Wilson struggling in comparison to what you would have expected them so far. So definitely something to keep an eye on. I'm going to be interested to see just how well these quarterbacks can play as the season progresses. All right, players trending up. We're going to give you three this week as we do every week. The first guy that stood out to me, Matt, was Taylor Gabriel. Two touchdowns this weekend. Has over five targets in every game this season, This season, averaging seven and a quarter and 28% of Chicago's air yards, giving him 282 I think it's fair to say he's trending up, but the real question becomes, is he the type of guy that we can expect this from week in and week out? And should we, we already talked about it a little bit, but should we let our judgment with a guy like Gabriel get clouded by the onslaught that we saw the Bears hand to the Buccaneers this weekend? No. Um, I mean, he's going to get more targets moving forward than he had in weeks one through three, uh, in part because Anthony Miller isn't there. Um, but if he wouldn't have had the huge game in week four, uh, but he had had the same target share, uh, the same percentage of air yards, no one would be talking about him. So I'm, you know, I'm not really on him. Yeah. I'm not sold on Gabriel either because I think he's a type of guy that even if you go in and you get him, you're probably never going to really feel that good about playing him, which I don't think is what you want. And the number of times that you're going to get these big games from him that you're hoping for, I really doubt that there's going to be more than two more of those opportunities that will arise. Aaron Jones, 11 rushes and a touchdown yesterday, matched Jamal Williams for work and had 
one target, which Williams did not see any. Uh, so again, we're seeing Jones be wildly efficient and Williams not being efficient. But I do think one thing that needs to get pointed out is you already have a banged up Aaron Rodgers. Jones is not strong in pass protection. Green Bay has always liked Williams in that situation. So should we be buying into Jones? I think it's worth taking a shot on him and I'm going to go and try to get him, but I could see how you might be on the other side of the fence and have your expectations a little more tempered. Yeah. I mean, I like him. The So the interesting thing is that coming out of college, uh, he was, he, I mean, he was so good in college. He played at a small school, um, but he was, you know, he was productive as a runner, as a pass catcher. Uh, and then he was athletic at the combine. Um, there's really nothing to dislike about him. Um, but he is on a team that, uh, seems to have like weird issues with talent. Like I thought Jeff Janus should be a starter. Like I'm like probably wrong about that, but he was just like a very outrageously talented guy. Um, but for some reason they didn't like him. Like Jones is a talented guy, but it might be the case where he could be the lead back on that team. Uh, and they maybe just won't do it. Uh, he, even with as productive as he was last week, he played only 38.2% of the snaps. Um, he's still very clearly in a three headed, uh, backfield with Jamal Williams and Ty Montgomery. I think Jones is the most talented guy out of that group. Um, but Williams might be the most well-rounded, uh, in that like he can function as a pass catcher. He can run the ball. Uh, even if he can't do it efficiently. And then, as you mentioned, uh, he can pass block. Right. So uh, I think they might opt for the guy with a lower ceiling, but maybe a more well-rounded game, uh, as opposed to the guy who probably can help them win more. Those are all solid points. And, and I do think that though I'm going to go out and try to get Jones, I recognize that with him, it's not going to be a 15-point type of game for him every week i think he's gonna have the game here and there where maybe he gets a touchdown or two and the other weeks could be down weeks but i do think if you're looking for somebody that can get you some production and uh does have it in the range of outcomes on a weekly basis to maybe get over that 15 type of point threshold he's the type of guy you could consider uh Marshall, yeah, just to just yep, to add ahead. on to this so yep. so i kind of made the case for why i would be like pessimistic on him i am pessimistic on him but like yep. i think he actually I, I think he is someone to target it's just now like Whoever owns him isn't going to be, I think, interested in trading him at like quote unquote fair value. Right. Um, they're, you know, cause they're going to look at what he's done, uh, and they're just going to want to hold him or get more than he's probably worth. But I think he actually does have a lot of upside, which makes him worth, worth acquiring, um, if you can get him at a reasonable price. Like if, if he, if he is good enough to steal the job, then that means that he is, I think a league winning player. I can't disagree with that. In that context. Yeah. I mean, if he completely outright steals the job, I think you're looking at a tremendous, tremendous outlook for him. Marshawn Lynch, 13, 15, 18, and 19 fantasy points through the first four weeks. His usage has increased each week. He's actually ranked right now at running back eight. Can this continue? He had 130 yards yesterday. I mean, I think the usage is going to continue uh, in terms of him being like the guy. Uh, I don't know if the offense is going to be efficient enough to give him that many touches. And, and like we should point out that uh, 
the game in week four went into overtime, right? So like some of the some of the touches are kind of just like extra from that. But yes, uh, he yes. is he is the guy. Like he is clearly the lead back there, and he's uh, playing pretty efficiently, um, especially like for a guy of his age. But like really not even just that. Like he's he's playing pretty well. Um, again, for me, the only question is whether the offense can be good enough to uh, give him enough touches moving forward. But yeah, I I definitely like him. Yeah, I mean, I've been impressed. And it was interesting if you looked at the um, some of the player profiler type of metrics on Lynch last season, you could tell that he still had the athleticism. He was still making plays uh, and did not seem to be this old washed up player. And then sure enough, we saw him produce. We're seeing it this season as well. I think the other concern is, you know, that offense is just running so much through Jared Cook. Is there going to be anything left over for Lynch? Yeah, I think so. He he has uh so many touches within the Ted Yarn line. Yeah. Um like five carries, four targets. Um they are they are using him a lot when they get in close. Yes, I was being somewhat facetious because it is absurd, isn't it, what's going on uh, with Jared Cook? And I actually oh, well, almost okay. I almost included him in the uh, trending up segment. But I think at this point, everybody knew that what he was doing was ridiculous. So we, we, we left it at that. Yeah, sorry. Okay, so yeah, I mean, um, the... Yeah. I mean, do you want me to talk to him about Jared Cook? I mean, I guess I can. Like, the offense is running through him, which seems ridiculous. But at the same time, like, he's producing unlike other people on that team. Yeah. You know, like he's highly efficient. He basically is a a big bodied wide receiver who gets really good matchups against linebackers and uh and safeties. Listen, in many contexts it, it feels like what you might have been hoping they would be able to do with Jordy Nelson is somewhat differently Jared Cook is doing. Yeah, yeah, I mean definitely. And and Jordy Nelson is having like a pretty a pretty good like revitalization campaign this year. Um like I don't think he's totally washed. Yeah. Like he's he's not going to be like 2014 Jordy Nelson, but um I I don't know. I I have been impressed with what I've seen with him the last couple of weeks. Yep. While we're on the Raiders, quickly, what's your opinion on Amari Cooper? Has anything changed or are we still in the same spot where Cooper it's just really hard to figure out, but the volume's going to be there. Some weeks it manifests, some weeks it doesn't. Uh I still like him. Um he looks bigger. Like, I, I know, like, each year is almost like a meme of, like, Amari Cooper's coming into <laughs> camp. Like, he's gained more weight. He's going to yeah. be he's gonna be more physical. And now, like, I look at him and, I, I like, I I saw him quickly and I thought, like, oh, that's Jared Cook. And then it's like, oh, no, that's Amari Cooper. Um, I don't – I mean, I don't really have anything to say after that. Um, but, yeah, I think he's going to – I think he's going to continue, continue to get targets. Um, he will draw passes, which will be, you know, very frustrating – but uh, yeah, I, I mean, if if I I don't know, I would trade for him like I would try to trade for him uh, after one of the weeks where he has just like 10 yards receiving. That's when I try to trade for him. OK, uh, put it into context for me. What type of player are you moving for him? Would you actually I'm going to say this differently. Who would you rather own right now? Cooper Cup or Amari Cooper? Oh, Cooper Cup. Easy. Okay. <laughs> Easy. Yeah, me too. Me too. So so la- last year, we, uh, uh, Pete Jennings and I had the Amari Cooper Cup prop where each <laughs> week he was on he was on Amari Cooper and I was on Cooper Cup and whoever scored more fantasy points would would win that prop. You know, and so like mm-hmm. I'm still on, on Cooper Cup. Um, he's uh, I mean, I wouldn't say he's like the number one receiver in that offense, but he gets just as much usage as any other receiver in uh, on that offense for the Rams. And they're real um, quality targets yeah. too. Yeah, they are. 
he's getting used a lot near the goal line. So, um, yeah, I, I, obviously Cooper Cup. I mean, I would say like, uh, I, I don't know, like Fitzgerald. I mean, I don't know if anyone would make that trade, like would, would accept Larry Fitzgerald. But like, I'm, I'm trying to think of yeah. like, if there's someone that you think of as uh, having a good reputation, but a relatively low uh, low ceiling, that's the type of person I would try to trade for Amari Cooper. Okay, uh, I'll accept that. Can you think of it like a wide receiver who fits that? Uh, maybe Marvin Jones. I don't know. It's kind of yeah. hard right now because I think that there there might be significant concerns I think that somebody might have with Jones. But I, I think that that's the type of player that probably falls into that that trade. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like maybe Julian Edelman. Yeah, I, I guess it's hard to say without having seen the, the one game yet. Well, I guess I was going to say Crabtree, but I don't know if that's an example that works this season. I would, I would definitely trade Crabtree for Cooper. I don't know if anyone would take that trade. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I yeah. think that Crabtree has lost some of the his, yeah. his name value has taken a hit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All you ever talk about is being a pro hockey player, but there's a problem. You're not any good. Three players on the decline. Can we drop Chris Hogan at this point? Uh, I am. Am I wrong? Uh, no. I mean, I don't think you can drop him. How shallow is this team? Let's say I'm picturing this in the context of like 16 man rosters. I don't think you can drop him. Um, I, I really don't because I think things will get better in that offense. And then I think there will be a couple of, you know, explosion Chris Hogan games. Okay. See, I think it's, it, it creates an interesting conversation because we're at this point where are you better off getting this, whatever you want to call Hogan situation off of your roster and trying to get somebody that can actively start producing for you now. So some of that might depend on your team, but I almost feel like it's very easy right now to fall into a Chris Hogan trap where you're thinking about what can be, not what is. And I often feel like in retrospect, the better move for your in-season management is to consider the now as opposed to the what if. Yeah. Um, maybe, I don't know. Like, if your team is bad enough where you are looking to drop Chris Hogan to pick up someone who might give you slightly more than Chris Hogan, yeah. then your team is probably dead anyway. All right. That might be a good point. Might be a good point. Now, Nelson Aguilar, Jordan Matthews comes back, gets a touchdown. Um, Alshon is back. We're not seeing Aguilar in the slot as much this season, not working for him. Very challenging upcoming schedule for the Eagles. Still saw 12 targets yesterday, only caught five, 17 targets in the last two weeks. But the real issue is only 46 yards. Uh, so though the target volume has been there, he's really been struggling to produce yardage off of it. Uh, if you are a owner of him, are you starting to get a little bit worried, especially now that we're seeing Jeffrey back? Yeah, um, I'm totally worried. Um, the usage that they give Ertz, the return of Jordan Matthews, and then now the return of Alshon Jeffrey, um, even if they continue to give Aguilar um, the quantity of targets, yep. he is getting very low quality, like low leverage targets, Yeah, low, low ADOT and not really being targeted near the end zone. So there's really nothing to be excited about except, you know, potential PPR goodness. Um, yeah, I'm not really, I'm not excited about him. Like you can't, you can't drop him. I don't think you can really even include him in trades. Um, cause I don't think anyone's really excited about him at this point. You just right. kind of have to hope that, um, his value somehow gets resuscitated. 
Yeah, it, it comes down to, especially for me, if I'm considering him, I'm not going to be putting him into my lineup at this point because the team is not using him in a way that's conducive for his success. And they also understand how to use Matthews and they see, you know, even with a much more limited role than Aguilar, a way to get him involved, getting him targets that work for him. So none of that is good for Nelson Aguilar. Now, Larry Fitz, who you mentioned in that hypothetical trade scenario, only has 15 points since week one in which he put up 15. Josh Rosen came in over the weekend, uh, looked like a rookie more or less, maybe not going to revitalize that offense the way we would hope. So no touchdowns for Fitzgerald, only 141 yards. I think it's time we ask the question, have we seen the end of the Larry Fitzgerald that we knew and loved? Yeah, I think so. And a big part of it is the hamstring injury. Um, we just, I think we kind of don't know how much that is limiting his ability really right. to, uh, to get separation. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, until that improves and like hamstring injuries, like they linger, like, I don't know if he's ever going to be better for the rest of the season un- unless he actually gets some time off. Um, and I don't know if that's going to come to the bye and that's week nine. You know, like at that point, like your season's pretty much over, you know? So, yeah, um, yeah, I think Fitz, it's a really bad situation for him. Um, he's not himself and he's stuck with a rookie quarterback with also with an unimaginative play caller. Yeah, that's the biggest thing I was going to get to. I mean, you're in an offense where there is not a high degree of talent to be worked with and you have a coaching staff that is not doing anything to maximize what they can get out of that talent. None of that bodes well for Fitzgerald. You alluded to the health concerns. We don't really know what type of Larry Fitzgerald we're looking at right now since there's no clear indicators pointing to anything really positive for him. My valuation of him right now is obviously the lowest it's ever been. I'm probably looking at him as like a wide receiver four, just because it's really yeah. hard to start to envision um, in con- contrast to what you might want to consider with Fitzgerald, many scenarios in which things really turn around substantially for him. Yeah, it's bad. Like if he were, if he were the same guy right now, uh, old and injured, but in a good offense, I think you can maybe still consider him because he could potentially still get uh, red zone looks. But like that's just not happening now because his team isn't good enough to get into the red zone often enough for him to have those opportunities. Um, I like I think best case they should rest him, but I don't think they're going to because he's chasing uh, Terrell Owens for being number two in the receiving yardage like career pantheon. So yeah. I, I I don't think they're going to rest him, but I think they should. Unnecessary question here for you. Yeah, Fitzgerald versus Owens is one of them clearly the better receiver. Uh, that's I think that's tough. Um, I think Owens at his best was more explosive. Yep. Um, I think even Owens near the end of his career was still more explosive. Like Fitz hasn't really been an explosive guy. He's just been like a steady guy. Owens wasn't wasn't reliable like they're they're kind of like polar opposites in that like Fitz has slowed down but he's still like the consummate professional and like Owens was never professional and he was like very volatile um I would oh man I like I I love Fitz yep and uh I kind of hate Owens but I would probably go with Owens it's a real hard one because I feel like 
they're opposite in so many ways, but both yeah. so uniquely talented. Um, like my first initial reaction which was to consider some of the things that Fitzgerald could do. But then I had to go back and remember when Owens was playing, he was this big physical receiver, fast. There's a lot of things he could do too that other players did. And I think you made a good point too, that even when his career started to slow down, like it didn't, I always had the feeling with him that he'd reach a point where he would kind of fall off and that did not come till much later than I expected. Of course, you could say the same thing about Fitzgerald. So I think that's almost like a, a podcast in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, just to think about this more. So Fitz had early on in, in his career, within the first five five seasons, he had three seasons of 1,400 receiving yards. Wow. Like that's that's really wow. good. He had another one, uh, you know, in the middle of his career. Um he had two seasons where he led the league in touchdowns uh, with 12 and 13. Um, but like T.O. had multiple seasons like that too. Um, yeah. He never had, he he had, okay, he had two seasons where he had 1,400 yards. Um, but he had like multiple seasons where he, like 14 touchdowns, 13, 16, 13, 14, 13, 15, 10. Like he was just a touchdown magnet um, throughout his career. And that really hasn't been the case with Fitzgerald. Um, I, and like, even in Buffalo, like I think T.O. was better in Buffalo. And then even in Cincinnati in his final season, he had 983 yards and nine touchdowns. Like that's his final season. Like that's a guy who clearly can still play in the league. Yeah. Um, like Fitz won't come close to those. Like T.O. I think had another couple of years, um, if a team had just been willing to put up with him. And that was when he was 37. Like Fitz right now is only, was it like 34, 35? I think he's 35, like, yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah, he's 35. Can you imagine Fitz in another two years from now? Like, do you think that guy could get 900 yards and nine touchdowns? Like, I don't. Uh, maybe the 900 yards, probably not the nine touchdowns. Yeah. I or mean, one or the other, come, depending on. It yeah. would have to come with so many targets. Right. And and he already gets so many targets, but like I, I don't know. I, I think I think To was was the better player. Yeah, I think that you actually answered that answered the question for us. I had forgot just how good To was. He was really really good. Oh man, strong right slot Z right Spider two Y banana Z O. Top three units with favorable upcoming schedules. We're going to go through these quickly here as we've deviated onto a couple of different topics here. Uh, the Green Bay running backs, if you were excited about Aaron Jones, they have Detroit and San Francisco before a bye in week seven. Very favorable schedule for them. Pittsburgh wide receivers, Antonio Brown for Antonio Brown has not put up some of the totals that I as a Brown owner would have liked, but they have Atlanta who has just been letting opposing wide receivers rack up the points Cincinnati and Cleveland they're all uh ranked higher than 22 so very favorable schedule for them and Tampa Bay also has Atlanta Cleveland and Cincinnati so even if Winston is coming in maybe there's hope for uh, Djax and company but if you want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy football league, look no further and download Squad QL, the only mobile app you need to crush your friends and rivals this year. Squad QL recommends the best starting lineup for you each week based on your starters, bench players, and free agent pool. You may ask, how does Squad QL actually do this? The app connects directly with your Yahoo, ESPN, and CBS leagues, pulling in your actual roster and your league's scoring system. Squad QL provides waiver and trade recommendations pull plus the app gives you player rankings each week and it's all based on your league's settings 
SquadQL truly is your go-to app this fantasy football season. Head to SquadQL.com to download SquadQL. You're all in one fantasy football manager. And watching football is fun, but it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games like Matt and I do each week. You've heard us talk about this week in and week out, and some of you are still on the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay pick, three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you'll turn $100 into $600. It's not just football. You can bet all major sports, take MMA this weekend. Conor McGregor steps into the octagon Saturday for his first UFC fight in two years. You can bet on things like whether he'll win straight up or whether Khabib will deliver a first round KO. I recommend these guys because I really trust them. This is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all season. My bookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews and their mobile site is easy to use. If you're on the sidelines, now is the time to get in the game. My bookie will still match your first deposit dollar for dollar, but you've got to join now because they will be pulling that offer. So log into my bookie right now and double your money. Use the promo code RotoViz for the promo code. You play, you win, you get paid. Top three units with difficult upcoming schedules. Houston faces Dallas, Buffalo, and Jacksonville, who ranked 5, 6, and 13. So if Fuller is on the sidelines and you're hoping to drop in, Kiki, say that name for me, Matt. Is it Kute? I think it's Cutie. Cutie? It can't be yep. Cutie, can it? Pretty sure it is. Kiki, Cutie. Cutie? Yeah. Okay, I thought people yeah. were just being facetious with that, but it actually is. All right, that's interesting. The Denver wide receivers and uh, also for Case Keenum, it's going to be tough because they have the Jets, the Rams, and the Cardinals 9-5-1 and one against quarterbacks. And the Tennessee running backs, unfortunately, have Buffalo who ranked 17, Baltimore first, and the Chargers who are 7th against the run. And that brings us to my favorite segment of the week, one in which Matt Friedman was up until the wee hours of the morning last night preparing for, and that is Friedman's number one waiver priority. Who you have? Oh, oh yeah. Um, this segment, it's, it's the favorite segment of everyone who <laughs> listens to the show. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty bad out there. It is so bad that, uh, I think I'm going to go with a quarterback, which I normally don't do because I yep. think like they're kind of interchangeable and you can just stream them. But, uh, Blake Bortles is out there. Uh, he's available, uh, in I think almost every league, uh, except the, the really deep ones. He has a really great matchup this upcoming week against the Chiefs, and he is without Leonard Fournette. Uh, and when that has happened, um, the Jags historically have skewed more towards the pass. So uh, I think it's setting up to be a really good situation for Bortles this upcoming week. Um, so if you're there and you're just kind of streaming quarterbacks, uh, I think he's a pretty good one to keep your eye on. And that, my friends, is why this man's a professional. Killed it. <laughs> uh Yeah. All right. It's it's, it's almost as if I hadn't prepared. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Fantasy games of the upcoming week. Uh, There is a great one on at uh, 1 p.m. on Sunday with the Falcons and the Steelers. I believe these teams have managed to get mentioned almost every week. This should be a shootout, an absolute shootout. You don't happen to know off the top of your head the uh, over under on that, do you? Uh, 75. <laughs> no, uh, I, it's, I think it's 53. Um, I'm, I'm looking it up right okay. now, coincidentally at 
my bookie. Right. Um, oh wow, it's fifty-seven and a half. It, that that's wow. moved up. That I definitely, I guarantee it. It didn't start there. I'm gonna look and see where it started. Right, because um, that is that is uh, incredibly high. <laughs> that's a lot um, of that points. That is that is high enough where I believe I already bet the no. So it opened at fifty-six and a half. Yep. Yeah, fifty-six and a half. It's already fifty-seven and a half. Wow. Uh, I don't know if that's going to go higher, but I, I can't imagine how it goes higher. But um, man, that's amazing. Yeah. 57 and a half. And uh, Pitt favored by three. Uh, they opened as four point favorites. Wow. Wow. Um, I actually hear I'm nonplussed. I can, I'm, I'm without comment. I mean, that is so high that I think you have to take the under. Yeah, I do too. Um, but I, I probably won't take the under. <laughs> I think because I'll be scared. Yeah, I think I would just stay, yeah. <laughs> just stay away from that one. And uh, following that game at 4:25 on Sunday, you have the Vikings and the Eagles, which was the second game that stood out to me. Uh, Minnesota coming off of a fantastic game from a viewer standpoint against the Rams. Uh, so I think that will be another good contest to pay attention to. The yeah, top- that has that has a 44 and a half point over uh, over under. I would I would take the over there. Yeah, I think I would too. Yeah. Um who is uh is it in Philly or is it in Minnesota? It's it's in it's in Philly. It's in Philly. Yeah. So I'm assuming they're uh, they're favored, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fa- yeah, favored by three. Three. Okay. All right. The tough call. Um this question I have been talking with a patron uh patron about they need running back help. They're loaded at wide receiver. They're wondering if they should do a trade that involves Antonio Brown leaving their team and their team acquiring David Johnson because they think they could make this trade happen. Your thoughts on that, Matt? Uh, I mean, no. Uh, of, of course, they think they can make that trade because anyone with David Johnson would be happy to fleece them in that manner. Um, if you have Antonio Brown, you should be able to get, to, to get more than David Johnson. Like, yep. you are... You are buying David Johnson low uh, and, and trading away one of the, uh, the premier commodities in fantasy football. There's absolutely no way you can make that trade. What I said was if they really had to go ahead and do this trade, I would at the very least try to get somebody like Melvin Gordon and then include ancillary players that are going to behoove you as well. Because I do think if you're going to go ahead and move AB, it's got to be for somebody where not only are you going to feel better week to week about them being an RB1, but also they have the potential to score a big chunk of points week in and week out. You know, not that you're always going to get it, but that the opportunity is there. I like the way that Gordon has been used. I think even with Eckler there, there's still so much work for Gordon. So that's the type of player, if I was going to make this trade, at the very least, I'd be going for like Melvin Gordon. Yeah, but if you you cannot trade Antonio Brown unless you're getting like... So you Todd think Gurley, you think, you know, unless, yeah, you think it's got to be Gurley. Yeah. Like unless you're getting, um, or like Kamara or like, unless you are getting a player who is in that tier, like Antonio Brown, um, was like a top five, top six draft pick. Yep. There's nothing he's done to this point in the season to suggest that he still isn't that player. 
Um, but there are some running backs who haven't played up to that. Like David Johnson is one of them. Right. Um, you, you can't trade Antonio Brown for David Johnson. If you trade him, it has to be for one of those other top tier running backs who are still producing at a high level. But like why, if he's loaded at wide receiver, why doesn't he trade one of his lesser receivers for David Johnson? Like that might get it done. You think that, see, I think that's probably the challenge in this trade scenario is the assumption that another receiver is not going to get it done. Okay. But- well, well then trade for someone else besides David Johnson. <laughs> All right, I think I think the point there has been made. So so at the end of the day, Friedman is down on David Johnson, which is probably fair. And I think you bring up a good point that someone's evaluation of Antonio Brown at this point should not have changed. The only thing that we really haven't seen is one of these explosive games from him, which Listen, I know he's ranked in the 20s right now, but by the end of the season, this is going to correct. You're still dealing with a top five wide receiver. I think we're on the same page right there. I, I yeah. still think... Well, and it's yep. it's not as if I'm even totally down on David Johnson. I'm just down on trading like a top two wide receiver for David Johnson. Yeah. No, I think that you have elucidated on this situation very well. Uh, I think I just actually used that word in a way that I didn't want to, but nonetheless, that that is all good. It worked. It worked. Did it work? Okay. Yeah. Um, All right. Very, very quick bonus round for you. Any players that we have not touched upon on this show in the last couple of weeks that you've been wanting to bring up? No. To put you on the spot? No. Okay. No. Uh, Calvin Ridley continues to kill me. (laughs) <laughs> right that was actually the other question i was yeah. gonna ask which rookie yeah. has impressed you the most and i think it's probably ridley yeah still still ridley uh jakeem grant uh the, the dolphins need to figure out a way to use him more to use him I'm, i like, mean the, the usage has been pretty good hasn't it or do you mean like in better no. situations they just they haven't been using him like oh, they really? haven't had him running a lot of routes when he's running around oh, okay um they they get him the ball but he's not running many routes like he is close I mean, he's, I don't know. It's probably wrong to say he's close to Tyree Kill, but he is a, a Hill-esque type of talent and they need to figure out a way to use him. Okay. Um, that is, that is fair. Uh, bringing us to the Monday night challenge uh, as we wind down here. So to recall, I was the victor in week one. Uh, in week two, we both took the over on the Steelers and the Bucks. Um, I actually don't remember if that hit. I imagine it hit. That I was think, a pretty high score. I think it game. hit too. And we had we both had the Steelers by uh one and a half. So we both would have had that. I have the um under you have the over tonight. We both had the Chiefs. That game is going on. We look ahead to Monday night of next week. And you know what, Matt? I forgot to write down who's playing in that. Do you do you happen it is, to know? Yeah, it, it's Redskins at Saints. Okay. Ooh, Redskins at Saints. Do you happen to uh, have the Yeah. Yep. Saints are favored by six and a half. It is a fifty two uh fifty two and a half over under. Uh that opened at fifty one and it's moved up a point and a half. Ugh. I'm gonna go the over and I'm gonna take I'm act I Wait, where is this game being played? Uh, it's being played in New Orleans. Um, no, I'm. Eh, uh, I'm gonna take the. <laughs> I'm taking the Saints with the points and the over. Okay, uh, I'm taking the Redskins. Um, okay, I I would if I, if I were betting this, I would. Mm, Fifty two and a half is high, I, but I would probably still take it just because it's the uh, the Superdome, uh, right? AKA the Coors Field of fantasy football. But uh, I would probably still. <laughs> um, go with the over there but uh definitely i'm on washington 
All right. Sounds good. That's going to do it for today's episode. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveCabinFF. My co-host was Matthew Friedman, who you can follow at MattFTheOracle. Don't forget to call in to 978-925-7628 and give us your tough calls. I've been getting a couple of emails, but again, we prefer the calls. So uh, leave us a voicemail. This has been RotoViz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review and be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Thank you for listening to RotoViz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at RotoViz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Yeah.